0: Good evening and welcome to night two of the St. Pius X Parish Lenten Mission for 2020. Uh, We have Father Bryce Sibley here with us tonight and uh, I had introduced him last night. Just wanted to bring you up to date on Father Pete. He's doing just fine as most of you know, he's in quarantine out of an abundance of caution. Uh, I call him each day and uh, um, he's not having any symptoms. He's doing, like I said, just fine. Hi- we think it highly unlikely that he was even exposed uh, to the coronavirus, let alone uh, contracted it. Um, but he is feeling a lot of love. You all have reached out to him, are certainly taking care of him uh, almost too well. Um, if you don't mind, we, we don't want him to get used to the quarantine and to like it. Uh, you know, Father Pete at times can enjoy a little social distance. And so uh, um, don't spoil him. We want him to come back and be ready to service on on Thursday. But uh, thank you very much for the outpouring of love for him. It certainly made my job much easier. But he is fine, and we look forward to uh, having him back, uh, hopefully on Thursday. Uh, Without any further ado, we ask Father Sibley. We're glad to have him. We thank him for his willingness to do our Lenten Parish mission uh, under the circumstances. But I know it's been very fruitful from the feedback that I've received from last night. And I know tonight will be every bit as fulfilling for you. Uh, So without any further delay, welcome again Father Bryce Sibley, pastor of Our Lady of Wisdom Parish here in Lafayette.
1: Thank you Father Brady for that introduction. Why don't we go ahead and begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's great to be back with all of you in Facebook and Vimeo land. My name is Father Bryce Sibley. For those who weren't tuning in yesterday, Pastor, our Lady of Wisdom and our Lenten mission this year is on the topic of prayer trying to get to the essence of what prayer is. And so yesterday I talked about how I, at least yesterday, was going to try to be like Father Michael Champagne and not really have a very structured text and be able to go on and tell as many funny stories as he does. So instead today, I'm not going to imitate Father Champagne. I have a little bit more of an outline. But I'm going to imagine that he is sitting, a bunch of Father Schompines, here in the pews, all six feet apart, make sure that he social distances and that is going to be my imaginary audience along with you everybody out there as I continue to look at this camera in the nave of the cavernous church. So we talked yesterday about prayer. The definition of prayer is letting yourself be loved by God. That so often we see prayer as is some type of activity that we've got to be doing something. We have to be giving God something, always thinking and meditating. But instead, prayer really is about being with the Lord, receiving from Him, and really encountering Him in the depths of our hearts. And so I got a lot of great feedback, and I really appreciate all the wonderful comments. But I'm going to be honest, it was sort of nice and spiritual and theoretical wasn't very very practical father it's great praying is letting ourselves be loved by the Lord but how do we do that and so this is what today's topic's going to be it's not necessarily going to be as mystic or as profound but instead trying to get practical learning how to let yourself be loved by the Lord in prayer Before we begin, I want to make a caveat, and it's something that I sort of alluded to yesterday, that even though we're going to be talking about ways that we can learn to let ourselves be loved by God, that this learning to do it, and even more importantly, prayer in general, is not a a sort of a technique or an art to be mastered or some sort of a process that if we do, like martial arts or learning to cook or painting, then all of a sudden we've achieved it. We're great prayers. There are certain rules, I'm sure, and certain teachings that have come down throughout the history of the church. But prayer, if indeed it is going to be an exchange of the heart, of a receiving and giving love, then it's not a process. It's not something that we can necessarily grow in and become better at and then ultimately master. And so we want to make sure that we understand that I'm not trying to propose a technique or a process that we can do in order to become good at praying. I'm going from a black belt, um, from a white belt to a black belt. Yeah, you could say there's certain stages to prayer, but the truth is, how do you know where they are? I mean, how do you really know where you are? I'm all for the mansions of Teresa of Avila. Again, there's certain stages, but it's very difficult for us to be able to know what man should we are and exactly. And even she says we can be at different ones at the same time. So we want to get to that essence of how to pray, or what prayer is, and how to do it. So what I want to do is I want to offer five things, five things to all of you out there. So you want to get your notepad out, you want to get your pen, start writing them down. Some of them are pretty obvious and pretty practical, but some of them take a little bit more effort to be able to really do. But I assure you, we get to the end of it, and we'll see that if we do these things, we're gonna be much more disposed to learn or to receive the Lord and let him love us in prayer. And the first one is the most obvious. If you want to learn to let the Lord love you in prayer, you got to set time every day to pray. You gotta schedule. And this is something I've been harping on for the past two or three weeks. With now, with our schedules, people aren't working, they're not going to school like they normally do, it's easy to sort of waste the day away. I'm encouraging setting a schedule. If you want to use an analog planner, great. Use Google Calendar, it's fantastic. Make all your calendars, schedule your day, or what the monks call the aurarium, where you have the time to eat, and the time to exercise, the time to work, the time to rest, but also put in a time to prayer for prayer. So this next month when we're all quarantined is a great way for 30 days to begin a habit of having time set aside for prayer. Ain't no excuse to say that you were too busy to pray. You got plenty of time. So I think that anyone who's really serious about growing in their spiritual life can begin with 15 to 20 minutes of prayer has set aside a chunk of prayer to be able to give to the Lord. Because you ask most people like, tell me about your prayer schedule. Well, you know, I pray before I go to bed at night and sometimes I fall asleep. Well, imagine that any of your friends would do that to you. The only time they'd call you is right before they went to bed and they'd fall asleep on the phone. You'd get angry at them. You'd say, quit paying me lip service. I want a conversation. I want a real relationship. Now that the Lord gets upset with us, but we need to be able to have that time dedicated for him each day to build a relationship, but for our sake even to be able to let him love us because knowing that love does transform our minds and our hearts. Some people say, Father, I pray on my way to work and I pray on my way back in the car. That's all wonderful. I'm all for that. But the thing is, is you're, you're distracted. You know, the guy in front of you who's driving slow in the fast lane, you know, the 18-wheelers swinging in and out of your uh, your driving lanes, looking at the signs for, you know, the, the the lawyers on the side of the road. You're too distracted. You need to have the time really for Jesus. Hey, listen, Lord, I'm putting my focus on you. I want to pay attention to you. Now, some will say, well, Father, I don't really have time to pray, but I think of God throughout the day, and that's my prayer. Again, it's wonderful that we think of God throughout the day, and that can be a prayer. Why don't you go try that one on your spouse? You know, I really can't give you 15, 20 minutes a day, uh, but I think of you throughout the whole day. I hope that really works and is okay with you. You already know what the answer to that is going to be. It's not going to be a good answer. You gotta set time aside. Because we set time aside for something or someone, we're saying this activity or this person is important. Now, if your brain works better in the morning, schedule it for the morning. If your brain works better in the evening, do it then. But do it at a time that your mind and your heart will be the most open to receiving the Lord's love. And again, if you're only putting a few minutes, you're not going to really have time to go deep. Because what happens is if you're trying to have a conversation for five minutes, you really can't do it. You can't really get used to the person and see how they're doing. 15, 20 minutes is a good basis. And then as time goes on and you grow deeper in prayer, which we're going to talk about tomorrow, you're going to find that you want to spend a half an hour, an hour in prayer, even more in that intimate communion with the Lord, just allowing him to love you. And so the ideal, of course, in the church is the holy hour. Can you not wait one hour with me uh, to be able to spend an hour with the Lord? And I understand when things get back to normal and we're working, we have kids, that's very, very difficult to do if you're not a priest or a nun or a monk, but it is something to be able to strive for. Time set aside to rest, to be with the Lord and allow yourself to be loved by him. So. That's super practical. It's the very basic thing that you got to do. The second thing is pretty practical, too. we got to learn to be quiet, to practice silence. Not only exterior silence, but to be able to practice interior silence, to quiet the mind, to focus the senses, and to be able to focus the heart and what prayer is. We talked about it yesterday. We live in a frenetic and very distracted society. You know, our phones are taking our attention. We got stuff that's on the computer and the television. People need us to do stuff. There's all kinds of noise and activity. And it's interesting, over the course of the past week or two on campus, there's always activity. To be able to walk around and there's nothing. I can hear all the different birds. I've been able to find out, we got like a little, Robin that hangs out in the tree in the front. You can listen to him. we got two doves that like to hang out in our patio and you can listen to them. Pay attention to hear all these sounds because things are so quiet. And so we're blessed that our world is pretty quiet now and to be able to use that to our own advantage. It's also nice not getting nearly as many emails or phone calls uh, because of the fact that so many things are in slow motion today. But you gotta be able to have time to silence. So even in the busiest time, nobody here, probably, can shut it all down and just center themselves and focus in one minute. It at least takes five minutes. You wanna put away all your distractions, don't bring your phone or your computer into prayer, and to be able to have that exterior silence, turn off the radio, turn off whatever you need to, and just be able to rest because that exterior silence can lead to a deeper interior silence where we can recollect ourselves. And that's what I really wanna encourage you to think about what Teresa of Avila calls the prayer of recollection, which can kind of lead to this prayer of quiet. And when she means recollected, yeah, you're recollected in your mind, but you've sort of recollected all of your senses and all of your energy And focus them on the Lord. It's not some sort of a Zen zoning out or becoming one with the universe. The mind and the heart are engaged, but they're engaged in focusing on and receiving the love of the Lord, that you are totally present with him. Now as we'll see, they're going to be distractions. It's very, very difficult to do that. You know, for me, I'll be honest, over the course of the past two weeks, thinking about what's going on in the news and taking care of the students and the parishioners and wondering about the budget, my mind and my heart have been all over the place. But I've been doing my best to be able to say, I can't focus on these distractions. Because as I said yesterday, even though you're super distracted, the Lord still wants you to show up. He still wants you to be there. And we can't freak out about the distractions. So often, we're so worried about our distractions that we allow it to disturb our peace. If I tell you, don't think of the pink elephant, you're going to think of it like that. And so if I tell you, you know, don't focus on distractions or don't worry about distractions, that's what you're going to do. My best suggestion is imagine your distractions are like clouds in the sky. And you're watching the clouds and you just let them pass by. They're coming and going. You don't worry about it. You don't freak out about it. The Lord knows that your heart is there, that you have a good will, that you want to spend time with him, praying and loving him. And that's what the most important thing is. And so we develop this sense of quiet. Now, this could be easy for some people. Uh, Us introverts, this is our glory time. As an introvert, I'm loving it. Uh, There's a great book by a woman named Susan Cain called Quiet. It's a book about the power of the introverts. This is a great book for you introverts to read, and you extroverts who might be suffering, uh, you can read it too to understand why uh, we introverts now are living our best life. Uh, But regardless, introvert or extrovert, we got to be able to have time for some silence on the exterior, shutting things down so we can be more recollected. And what happens is when we can experience that silence and that peace and prayer, And as we'll see, we can take it into the rest of our day. Sort of hold that silence in our heart. And our own peace is going to radiate out from us, which is going to have an impact on other people. All right. So the truth is, though, even though extroverts might be suffering and we introverts like it, I'm banking that everybody, once they're over with this, everyone's going to become an extrovert and want to go party. We're all going to become huggers. Now, when that's going to be, I don't know but uh, I can assure you that is going to happen. So those are the first two things, and they're the simple and most basic ones. What I want to do now is get to the core of what I think is probably the two most important points if we're going to really learn to allow ourselves to be loved by God. First, you've got to show up, then you've got to be quiet so that you can receive the Lord's love. But this one, the next one is somewhat counterintuitive, but I think it is important if we understand it. The best way that we can learn to let ourselves be loved by God is by letting ourselves be loved by other people, by the other people who in our lives, family members, friends, coworkers, church members, it doesn't matter the people the Lord has given to us, and that uh, we have been given to, to be able to allow them to love us. This is where we really learn, and day to day, outside of prayer, where we practice. Why, why is this important? I I'm wanna talk about what I like to refer to as the principle of mediation. So often we want God to speak to us directly. You know, the heavens to open up and then like the big money Python head come out and God speak to us in his mighty voice. And at times that does happen and you see it in scripture. But nine times out of 10, that's not how it happens. That God in the Old Testament speaks through a prophet. In the New Testament, he speaks through his apostles. He mediates his voice through human beings. In the same way that he mediates his healing, his forgiveness, and he also mediates his love. This is part of the sacramental economy of the way that God takes creation, which is good, and infuses it with his grace and makes it channels to communicate the grace with us. That's why, yes, the main priority is that we love God, but the second command is to love our neighbor. Jesus didn't say that the second command was to love our neighbor for funsies. Like, well, I don't know what I want them to do. He wants us to do it because when we love our neighbor, God is loving them through us. And if they allow us to love them, then they are in a real way allowing Jesus and the Father through Jesus, who is a mediator in a certain sense of the Father's love. He's the icon of his presence. When you see him, you see the Father. That's where we experience love but yet we're waiting for some divine revelation, which can happen. We can experience that love in prayer, but we begin to really experience it in the world around us when we learn to let ourselves be loved by by others. But as we said yesterday, that's really difficult. It's much easier for us to give a gift than to receive a gift. It's much easier for us to give of ourselves then to receive another person, or even more, allow ourselves to be received in love. Now, why is that? Well, I'm sure there are a number of different reasons, but the main one is a word that has been very popular lately, and I think is a very important one, is that we got a problem with vulnerability. Vulnerability comes from the Latin root of vulnus, which means wound. A person is vulnerable is a person who can be hurt. A person who can be wounded. And so we realize that if we open ourselves up to let ourselves be loved by another person, then guess what? We are opening ourselves up to this great experience of being loved, but we're also opening ourselves up to being hurt, to being betrayed, to being rejected. But yet this is part and parcel of what it is. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote where he says, to love something or someone is to be vulnerable. You open yourself up for the gift, but you also open yourself up to be stabbed in the back, to be abandoned, and to be rejected. And So there's a fear of that, particularly if we've been hurt in the past by other people whom we loved, or we thought loved us and we open our hearts to. And some people might even say that they've been hurt by God. Of course, we know the Lord does not hurt us. That's your own uh, projection or your own understanding of it. But yet that is a real legitimate fear. And, And so we have a difficult time opening ourselves up. And so we don't want to be vulnerable and we put walls up. And over time, along with some other factors, we convince ourselves that we're not worthy of receiving love from God or from other people. We convince ourselves because of things that we've done in the past or things that were done to us that we are unlovable. And that's where the shame really takes over. Guilt is sorrow for what you've done, shame is sort of sorrow for who you are, ashamed of who we are, of, of, of what our sin has done to us, that we feel that we've been rejected, we're unlovable, our wounds are too great. And so we put up the walls, so we try to hide so that others cannot see us, like Adam and Eve in the second creation story. And so we hide ourselves because of our sin. But what we do is while we're hidden up and locked up, we begin listening to the accuser. You can call it the inner critic. You can call it Satan. Probably both of them talk to us and saying, you're no good you're unlovable. I can't believe you do this or I can't believe you did it. There's no way God could ever love you and there's no way if your family and friends knew what you did that you could be loved. This is the voice that we see in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman who in her shame goes to draw, draw water at noon because she doesn't want to be seen by others. She's listening to that voice. She's isolated but she's there in the broad daylight for Jesus to encounter her and to be able to admit, yeah, you've done these things wrong. You've had these five husbands, but I'm not going to reject you. I'm here to show you love, a real merciful love. And this is why we need to be able to open ourselves up to God, even when we feel shame, but also to people that we trust. It's a very, very difficult thing. We know that if we say, and we show this person the thing that they're most ashamed of, or these deepest parts of our hearts that are the most tender, that we're afraid that we'll be rejected. But Jesus would never do that. He is not the accuser. Anytime you hear a voice accusing, you know it is not from the Lord. He calls to conversion, but he's also calling us to expose our hearts to others whom we trust that we know will love us and embrace us. Because when we hide in that shame and that sin, we convince ourselves that we're unlovable and the cancer can grow and grow and grow and it can be much harder for us to come to believe and understand who we are. Now, sort of tied with that, but maybe on a different version or a different trajectory, something else that makes it difficult to let others love us is because of our own perfectionism. Students at Wisdom know I love to talk about that. We have a problem with people who are striving to be perfect in their moral life, striving to be perfect in academics, in their social life. Again, we're called to be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect, but don't take that out of context what Jesus meant is he was perfect that he showed his love and mercy to the good and the bad alike. Jesus does not expect us to be morally perfect. He knows how weak we are. But yet we put this big burden on us whether it comes from our own inner critic saying that we've got to be perfect or maybe from our parents who expected a higher standard than one than was sort of necessary acceptable or just from our own culture, where we have to perform, we have to compete, we have to always be perfect. And that ties into an attitude that a lot of people have, which we talked about yesterday, that we don't believe that the Lord loves us unconditionally, that we've gotta earn that love. So if we're gonna be prepared to receive the Lord's love and allow ourselves to be loved, we have to score a 10 out of 10. We have got to nail that gymnastics move perfectly we have got to be able to get the best grade possible or somehow the Lord is going to reject us. And that's not the case. As I said yesterday, in fact, in our imperfection when we are the most imperfect is the time if we're willing to be vulnerable to make a home in our heart for Jesus as Saint Therese says that he desires to pour his love into us even more. But we've got to overcome at inner critic, we've got to overcome the shame that makes us want to go in the opposite direction, to live in the truth that God loves us for who we are. It's unconditional. It's not because of what we've done and he doesn't not love us or love us any less because of the sins that we've committed. If we are not loved by God, it's because we're like the older son in the prodigal son parable. We've rejected the father's love we refuse to go into his house. His love is unconditional and we have to quit believing the lies, the lies that we tell ourselves because of sins that we've committed because of our own weakness or our own imperfection are the lie that I talked about it over the course of the mass and the weekend that we are a burden. This goes beyond perfectionism. This goes beyond um, this idea of sin or shame that people think, okay, I got these problems. I'd love to bring them to someone so that they could love me, so that I could be vulnerable with them. But if I do it, they're going to think I'm bothering them. And this is the cult of people saying, I want to come to you, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry for bothering with this. Don't apologize. If I really love you, then I'm going to be delighted to be able to help you if I can. And if I'm going to be delighted to do it, then you can imagine how happy Jesus would be able to do it and God the Father would be able to do it. And so often I think we think we're we're too much to handle. My problems are too big. If I brought it to that person, they're not going to want to help me or they're unwilling to help me or they're not capable of doing so. And so we don't reach out we don't reach out for help and we end up drowning in our own shame and we isolate ourselves even further we've got to be able to overcome that not overthink it too much what is this person going to say what if what i said before upset them no they probably didn't think anything but if they truly love you and you have a relationship with them and you know they're not going to judge you then we've got to be able to take the risk, to open up our hearts, just like Jesus did. He was the most vulnerable. He came in order that he might show us love, but that he could be loved by us. And while indeed his mother, the apostles, loved him, not everyone did. And he opened his heart so it could be pierced. He suffered and so that he could unite his we could unite our sufferings to his. But the fact is, if we are going to learn to let the Lord love us, we're going to have to take the risk of allowing others to love us, to let them see who we truly are. Because a lot of the times, who we think we are is not who we are. We believe the lies, we believe the accuser. We gotta step out of the boat. We gotta jump off the high dive, it's scary. As a kid, I remember, over at Broadmoor, the pool that used to be there. There was that big high dive. They didn't want to go off it the first time. It was scary. And you'd climb up the ladder, get there about halfway, and then climb back down until my dad got to the bottom and said, uh, you are coming down until you jump off that high dive. And there you are looking over the edge, and it's so scary. You're worried you're going to belly flop. You're worried you're going to look like a fool in front of the girls that you want to impress there, thinking that you're 12 years old and weigh 125 pounds and can impress girls in the first place. Ridiculous. But after you do it, it's scary all the way down. But then you're like, whoa, this is a lot of fun. And you start doing cannonballs and can openers and aggravating all the girls and everybody else around. But once you do it, you take that risk and you realize it's okay. I'm not rejected. I'm not considered a pariah. I'm not kicked to the curb. And so do I mean that we need to go be vulnerable with the stranger on the street? Or go on, you know, go down to Albertsons when it's it's busy and say, everybody, let me tell you my sins. Please don't go tell people your sins on Facebook or on social media, don't do that at all. But people that we trust, that we know truly love us, family members, friends, we all know that one or two people that really are close to our hearts, that we love to let them know who we are, to love us even when we feel the most shameful, to be able to take those baby steps and show them to them. And then what happens is when we do that, we become vulnerable, not just in our shame, but just in general, to let people know what we really think, what we really feel, to actually express our inner depths and not worry about being rejected, then we can allow ourselves to be loved. But sometimes it does mean we're going to have to show our wounds. If you're going to let someone love you, they're going to realize that, guess what, you're not perfect. Just like husbands and wives, you've been married for two or three months, you know neither, neither of you are perfect, but you still love each other because of that. Your children are not perfect, but you still love them. And so like Jesus on the resurrection day, He showed the apostles his wounds. We've got to be willing to show our wounds to those whom we love. And now I'm not saying that we have to like what I like to call sit in the wound jacuzzi. Oh look at all the suffering, look at all the bad stuff. No, but there is a, a viable option of bringing these things to light so that Christ's light through another person can be shown upon them and it can be banished. The best place to do this, of course, is confession. This is where we really go with our deepest, darkest secrets, bring them to another person, the priest, and because he's been deputed of that, the Lord's mercy and love is communicated through the grace of forgiveness. Now, after we do this, after we're vulnerable with someone, by not only maybe showing them our wounds, but the deepest feelings or sentiments that we have in our heart, or our thoughts, Stuff that we've never shared anyone, the deepest parts of our heart, the most beautiful and intimate, we may have what we call a vulnerability hangover. We might feel really, really bad. Don't let that get you down. You're going to pick up and you're going to feel so much lighter, so much better. And this is the exercise I want you to think about. Imagine that you are about ready to go to prayer and you have just really opened your heart to someone you love who's received that gift and you just let them love you even it's in your brokenness in your worst state what is prayer going to be like there's going to be a joy there because you're going to be able to take that experience of allowing the Lord to love you through another person into prayer where then you can allow him to love you directly in prayer, in front of the Eucharist, through his presence in the Eucharist. You're allowing yourself to be loved. You're allowing yourself to be received. As compared to if you are, are closed off and you don't want to share your heart with anyone and you don't want to show your feelings or your thoughts, then you go to prayer. And instead of opening yourself to be loved by God, you're just listening to that accuser. You're ripping yourself to shreds. And so prayer becomes burdensome and your mind is all over the place. There's not the peace and the ability to rest. And so the best practice that we can get in learning to let ourselves be loved by God is to maybe take those baby steps and learn to let others around us love us, to be able to reach out for help, to be able to share our hearts and our minds to allow ourselves to be loved and to allow ourselves to be received. and So we can allow our gift to be received, but to allow our very self to be received, the, the embrace of the Father. That's tremendous vulnerability, but it also brings back image that we talked about a lot yesterday, the image of the child. The perfect image of prayer is that Father, maybe holding the child close to his heart, uh, the father looking at the child. and So as the child grows and allowing itself to be received, the bond with the father grows so as the child gets older, there's trust, there's a willingness for that son or that daughter to open his or her heart to the father. This is ideally where it needs to begin as we need to be willing to open our hearts to our parents but so often that is not possible because our parents are too broken so we've got to learn to be vulnerable with others. But the image of the child is important it leads us to the fourth point that sort of jumps off of and connects to the one that we just talked about is the practice of spiritual childhood. The practice of spiritual childhood particularly is taught by Saint Therese. Talked about Saint Therese yesterday, I'm gonna talk about her tomorrow. Saint Therese and her little way, the little way of not just doing small things with great love, but learning to embrace our own imperfection, our own weakness, our own littleness, to realize that we're all children, that we're weak, that we're gonna fall, and that we are dependent on God, our Heavenly Father the practice of spiritual childhood. But that very word child speaks to what our identity is as baptized Christians. As baptized Christians, you and I are baptized as adopted sons and daughters of God, our heavenly Father. And so we are able to inherit heaven. But what happens is if we're living out our baptismal vows, If we are allowing the Lord and others to love us, then we are sure of our identity. We know that we are children. We're we're clothed with the robe. We're wearing the ring and the slippers, as we hear about in the prodigal son. But what happens is when we don't live in that identity, we go and we lurk in the shadows and the darkness, and we're not able to live in spiritual childhood. We try to do it ourselves, instead of being dependent upon the Lord. I really want to encourage you to learn more about Saint Therese. And of course, read her book, The Story of a Soul. Even though that first part can be difficult to get through, if you want to read a biography first, then go into that one, I really suggest Joseph Smith's Everything is Grace*. It's a contemporary biography which really gets into the psychology of Therese relationship to her parents and I think gives a great explanation of what the little way is. But I also want to suggest Father Jacques Philippe's The Way of Trust and Love, which is a retreat on St. Therese. But honestly, searching for and maintaining peace is nothing more than the little way of St. Therese put in a much more condensed and sort of very contemporary vision where we realize that we have goodwill in our hearts, That we want to make God happy. We want to do the right thing, but that we're weak and that we're fallen and it's difficult. But to not lose our peace, to not run away from the Lord, but instead to run to the arms of the Father. That we're children, we're weak and we're dependent, and we have to have a great trust in the Lord that He's not there to punish us, He's not there to shame us, He's not there to scold us, but we've got to be willing to go to Him when we're joyful but also be willing to go to show our wounds and to be able to ask for healing, to be able to ask for mercy. He already knows what we need. He already knows what we want and he's willing to give it to us. We just have to give a look. In fact, I really think you don't even need to ask. The Lord knows our heart. He knows the surges of our heart that rise up to him, but we just got to go to be present with him because if we can go in presence in our poverty and say, Lord, Dad, I'm here, i got nothing to give, I'm weak, I'm tired. That's when he can pour his love and his mercy into us. Is when we go there, we've got to run to him. When we're doing well, but even when we fail. I like to talk about St. Therese's little way as teaching us the art of failure. That when we fall, when we're weak, when we're messed up, we don't beat up ourselves. We see ourselves as children. I can't do this without the Lord and to be able to run to him never losing our peace. Now I'm not saying, hey, this is an excuse to sin, not at all. But it's like St. Paul says, we're allowing our weakness to be a gift to us so that Christ's strength and glory can shine through that. But it comes from the practice of spiritual childhood, understanding our littleness, understanding our weakness and our dependence on him because the child allows himself to be loved, to rest in the arms of the Father, to just be held, to just be there in the presence. You don't need to do anything to be loved or to impress. The Lord embraces you for who you are. Now I want to offer a few thoughts as I was sort of praying about this this morning in the chapel that are sort of connected to this, but something that maybe will give some insights. First of all, is that uh, the way of the spiritual Childhood, if we understand children, children have no desire to control. At least when they're innocent and sweet, they don't have any desire to control. But they are small. They are dependent upon others to guide them. What made me think of this was Pope Francis's Herbie at Arby address. We talked about how this coronavirus and the way that we've been shut down and the world and economies are slowing down, and all of our schedules and all of the things that we put to control our lives, we realize that they're really not there. They're not very, very effective. That There are forces beyond our control, and we have to accept our own weakness and our own limitation. The child does not grasp. The child does not try to control. It's all an illusion. So I really encourage you to go read Pope Francis' comments in light of this that need to be able to be like a child and let go of control and let the Lord, let our Father be in control of the situation. This is a sign of our trust in Him. Number two, for a child to grow up to be healthy, the child needs to have a sense of security, a sense of safety, and no matter what threats are out there, that they're gonna be okay because their Father is going to protect them. So when we talk about the opposite of identity and the confidence that we should have as children, it's insecurity. Insecurity means you do not feel safe. An insecure person does not believe that everything is going to be all right, that they are all right. They allow their insecurity to guide their action rather than their identity. But where does that security come from? of knowing that the Lord is in charge, that the world will be falling down around us, but there's nothing to worry. Every hair on our head is counted, that he's there. But even more so, that security is necessary for the child to have the freedom to play. If you're gonna be a kid and you're gonna go and play at the playground, you're gonna know that dad's watching, it's okay. You can trust and you can play and you can be free. And that's what the Lord wants from us, that gift of playfulness to be able to celebrate life. Um, of course, there are going to be times to mourn and to weep, but to be able to have the freedom to play can only come with safety and security. Otherwise, there is anxiety and insecurity. But well, the third word that really came to me as I was praying this morning that I think is so integral, to developing spiritual childhood is the word home. Home is where the child grows up, where the child is love, where the child knows safety. Because if you don't have a home, you're an orphan and you're often stricken by insecurity, by feeling that you're left out. The home is a place of safety, of love, of tenderness, I met. I loved the movie, the new uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, Little Women. It got me reading the book, and I'm loving it. And because I get this sense of these the March girls living in a home where they're safe, where they're loved, where they know that they are secure. And so often people today don't have that, and so no wonder there's so much anxiety and insecurity, because they didn't have a home. Well now, even though we may not have a physical home, even more important, the home can be a heart, the heart of Christ, the heart of the Father, the heart of a loved one, where we become vulnerable. We allow them to love us and we can enter into their heart. When we experience the security of being in a home, then we can feel safe and we can come to better, allow ourselves to be loved by God and to be transformed by that. Fifth and finally, we've got to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary because Our Lady was the one who perfectly lived all of this. Prayer is allowing the Lord to love her, the way of spiritual childhood, a vulnerability that we're called to meditate upon and imitate Our Lady, to ask for her intercession, to teach us how to do it. And granted, she was sinless, and so there was no shame. She knew every moment who she was, unlike Eve, who had to hide from God in the garden. That she knew she always lived under the gaze of the Father. We're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow in the Magnificat. He has looked upon uh, his lowly servant, he's looked upon her. The Father is looking, and Mary's aware of it that he's got his eyes on her and she is going to be okay. Not eyes of judgment or condemnation, but eyes of love and tenderness. And so she was able to enter into that prayer of keeping things in her heart, of not being anxious and worried and to allow the seeds planted there of the Lord's love to grow. She let herself be loved by the Lord, but she also let herself be loved by Joseph and by Jesus. Mary was given to Joseph. Mary was given to Jesus just as they were given to Our Lady. We don't think about that a lot, but it's something to contemplate during this year sort of dedicated to Saint Joseph of how Mary trusted her heart to Joseph and how Joseph took care of that, to provide for her, to protect her, to guide her. She that, that, that innocent Lily, he took it very, very seriously in loving her and guiding her and reflecting to her the love of the providential and loving father. And so Mary, because she had her identity, she was willing to take a risk a risk to be vulnerable to ask Jesus to do the favor at the wedding of Cana, the risk to go there and encounter him on the way to the cross, and the risk to go there and stand by the foot of the cross with John when everybody there was saying so many horrible things. She was confident in her identity. She was able to live in the love of the Lord because she was able to allow herself in prayer, to be busy about all kinds of stuff, but to be able to contemplate, to be able to receive and allow the Lord to love her. So if we do these things, all of them combined, what happens is, is we carry these things in our real world or the things we put together in our prayer and we carry them into our prayer. And the peace that we receive by allowing ourselves to be loved and vulnerable, practicing spiritual childhood in the real world It brings into our prayer, the peace of experience and creates sort of a positive feedback loop where we're more able to allow ourselves to be loved by the Lord in prayer. And because of that, then we're more able to love others and allow others to love us. And what happens is as we receive that love, even though we may not be aware of it, we're actually being healed. The grace and the love of God the Father heals us And opens our own hearts casting away the shame so that we can better know who we are and live in that freedom and that confidence and security of the sons and daughters of God. It's not going to happen instantaneously. It's a habit but we go from prayer to the world and to living spiritual childhood and letting others love us and loving them then back to prayer and creates the positive feedback loop which over time begins to transform our hearts. And once we experience that, once we experience what true prayer is like, what it's like to be loved by the Lord, what it's like to cast away the shame, then things become different. We're able to live that in our daily life. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. So what I want to do is I want to offer just a few more little pieces of homework as we wrap up tonight. Pretty simple stuff. First of all, take some time between now and tomorrow to take a 15 minute block and just be quiet and be with the Lord. Don't bring a journal, don't bring your rosary, don't bring anything, Lord, I'm here. And say, Lord, I may be distracted, I may be all over the place, but I'm giving this time to you. Please allow me to receive your love. So take some time to practice silence. I'd also encourage you to go to John chapter four, the gospel that we read a couple of weeks ago, the Samaritan woman. And meditate on that and her shame and her willingness to avoid the crowd. But the way that Jesus doesn't accuse her, but points out, yes, this is what you've done, which is wrong. But ask for the drink of water from her. Ask for her love. And to be able to see what are those things that we're hiding, that we're insecure about, that we're ashamed of. And to be able to bring them to the Lord and potentially, hopefully, bring them to others to experience the Lord's love. And third and finally, where is home for us? If a child is formed and knows love in the home, where is home? Is it our family? Is it a friend? Is it church? Where do we experience that security and safety of the child where we're able to receive the love of the Lord? Know where home is and be able to go there when you need to. So that's tonight's lesson. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I was not as rambling, I think, as I was yesterday. A little bit more practical, maybe not as mystical, but hey, you can't have everything. Tomorrow, we're going to wrap everything up in talking about living. What is it like to live when we allow ourselves to be loved by God, when, when we have a flourishing prayer life, when we feel close to the Lord, and sometimes when we don't, when we feel He's very, very far away? How do we enter into that and allow these graces to spill over to the rest of our lives. so thank you for joining and tuning in i uh, will be back tomorrow 7 p.m uh, for my last time of preaching to this big empty church but focusing on the camera and talking to each one of you out there thanks for tuning in thanks for liking uh the, the video please like and follow saint pius's uh facebook page Go to Our Lady Wisdom, the Raging Cajun Catholics. Watch our page. Uh, we're posting this video on there, too. Uh, we've got all kinds of other great resources uh, for students, for parishioners, for anybody. Uh, thank you for joining in. I'll give you a blessing. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Thanks and God bless.